Welcome everyone. It's a good day to be in God's Word. I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. Let me encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing around the world. You can follow all the links from our webpage, breadoflifeboise.org. But now, let's turn our focus to the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 2, the author presents the birth of Jesus as a fulfillment of four prophecies from the Old Testament. He would be born in Bethlehem. He would be called a Nazarene or a branch. He would come during the time of Israel's sorrow. And to fulfill a prophecy from Hosea, he would be called, like Israel, out of banishment in Egypt. It's a strange passage to correlate to the life of Christ, but today we begin to consider just how perfectly Christ answered Hosea's prophecy and how right Matthew was to see this. In verse 15, you have this quote, Out of Egypt I called my son, and this quote actually comes from what we just read in our scripture reading in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, where God says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called him. When Hosea wrote those words, he was speaking of the nation of Israel. He had in his mind the history in which the sons of Jacob had been pressed into Egypt because of the hard times and the famine that they were experiencing. And by the way, they arrived there and they found somebody ready to meet them there who had already been sent ahead of them in Egypt, their own brother, their brother who had arrived in Egypt before them because of their own sin and their own treachery and their own betrayal of him. But there in Egypt, God forms this infant nation or this people of the sons of Jacob into an infant nation. And then eventually God leads that nation out of what becomes oppressive slavery in Egypt and brings them back into the land of promise. And we have that story for ourselves at the end of the book of Genesis. We have that story for ourselves throughout the book of Exodus, don't we? And Hosea had that story too, and that's what Hosea is thinking of. But Hosea also knew, as did the other prophets, that the nation of Israel, with all of its future hopes and prospects, was bound up in the hope of the Messiah. That somehow, in some way, God could refer to the people of Israel as his servant, and then later refer to the Messiah as his servant, and that there was a certain overlap here, that the latter, the Messiah, was a fuller expression of the former, the people of Israel. That God could be at once speaking of the nation as a whole, and then on another occasion speaking of the nation represented in the whole, in the Messiah. That Israel is called at times by the prophet God's son, and that at other times the Messiah is called by the same name by the prophets of God. For the prophets were developing this understanding that Israel standing before God is found only in the fulfillment that their standing before God comes through their Messiah. He is the one who will deliver them, and He is the one who represents them before God. Here's an example of this. Even the nation professed this reality. When the nation of Israel anointed David as their king, they stood before him, and this is what 2 Samuel 5, verse 1 says, they said to David. The nation of Israel, standing before David, said, We are your bone and your flesh. Basically, in essence, they were saying that you, David, represent all of us, that we are completely bound up and represented in you. And Now listen, if that's true of David as he becomes king and he's anointed king over Israel, if there's an element or a way in which that expression is true, it is completely true 
in David's son, in the son of David, the Messiah who comes. And that's the title, or one of the titles that was given to the Messiah. So this is the Messiah, the Savior's relationship to his people. He represents them. He actually embodies them more completely as to their future and their purpose than they do themselves. And so when Matthew takes this passage from Hosea 11.1 and then uses it to speak of the infant child who is sent on to Egypt because Herod is pursuing him and God will eventually call that child through his parents back into the land of Israel, Matthew is not making an application to some lesser association or peripheral association of Hosea's words. Instead, he is actually referring to the fullest expression and purpose of Hosea's word, for the people of Israel themselves are pointing us to something that is completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Their fullest expression is found in their representation in the Messiah that God has sent for them. So here's just a little application by way of introduction, but you want to remember this. You are better and more fully represented in Jesus, the Messiah, than standing before God by yourself. You are more fully represented in Jesus, the Messiah, than you could ever represent or speak for yourself. Jesus more fully presents to God your past, your present, and your future. He represents you. He embodies his purposes for you. As we'll see as well, he not only most fully represents you in all of God's holy and good purposes, but he represents you in your sin as well. He'll trace out your sin more fully than you could ever trace it out yourself. To begin to understand this association that Matthew makes with Jesus as an infant in Matthew 2.15 by quoting Hosea 11.1, we have to actually take some time to understand the prophecy of Hosea. And so you might want to take your Bibles. We'll kind of take you through briefly through the book of Hosea. You might only just look at certain chapter headings on them, but I think to some extent you'll get an idea of here. What we want to do is understand the, the thrust or the overview of Hosea's writings. And as I mentioned to you as we had our scripture reading this morning, Hosea writes at a time when the nation of Israel actually is is dwindling down and boiled down to the essence of all of their corruption as they continually refuse to return to God and as the force of one wicked king after another wicked king after another wicked king bears in upon the people and now you come to that point in history when there is nothing left but to extract them from the land in judgment. And that's what takes place and Hosea has to watch it and this experience that's happening to the people of Israel paralyzes the agony in Hosea's own personal life. The first three chapters of Hosea recount Hosea's personal story, and we're shown that this story of Hosea is actually symbolic of God's story and God's experience with the nation of Israel. Hosea marries a woman named Gomer. Gomer becomes an adulterous wife. Gomer's adultery expands into prostitution, and Hosea's story with Gomer is God's story with his sinful people, Israel. During the time in which Hosea is prophesying as this spiral into moral and spiritual degradation is taking place, he watches as the people of Israel descend into spiritual adultery, accompanied by rampant thievery, 
by violence. You know, other prophets would speak about what the rich and what the powerful were doing to the poor, but now at this point in time, every man in Israel is for himself and they're all doing the same things. Rich and poor alike are doing the same things. Rampant adultery, rampant thievery, rampant violence, lying and drunkenness, and now they're being swept away into exile. And just as Hosea felt the betrayal of being married to a wife of adultery, God feels the indignancy of Israel's adulterous betrayal of him. At the same time, as you read the story, you see that God does not harden Hosea's heart towards Gomer. He goes on loving her. And so God too goes on loving Israel. Gomer's sin results in her slavery and Hosea will go and buy her out of slavery and he'll bring her back to himself and he'll place her under a loving discipline and relationship to himself. God is going to do the same thing for Israel one day. Hosea goes on longing that Gomer would be his wife again and God says that it will happen one day for Israel. Look at Hosea chapter 2 verses 16 through 20. God comes to the end of this agony that Hosea must be going through and God burst in to tell his own story. And that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beast of the field and the birds of heaven and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Hosea's heartache is mixed with feelings of anger and betrayal and estrangement and yet love and impulses of protection and desires to correct In the face of Israel's sin, God's heart aches the same way, with anger and betrayal and estrangement and ongoing love and desires to protect and correct His people. And these are themes and expressions that come throughout the chapters of this book. Those are the first three chapters where you get the initial story of Hosea, and then it breaks off. And now what happens in the next seven chapters are a series of judgments in which God just pours out His proclamation of judgment against Israel And in them, there's no expression in these seven chapters that there's any abatement, that there's any pause, that there's any end, that there's any relief to the judgment that's coming. They've come to the end of all they've done, and what's before them is only God's judgment, and God is just pronouncing it with force. And as you read it, you'll see in chapters 6 and 7 that there's an indication for a moment that Israel is repenting, and there's this moment in which you think maybe there's a little hope and yet immediately becomes apparent within it that their repentance is not real. It's a superficial confession. It isn't complete. They will not follow through. So God says in verse 4 of chapter 6, what can I make of you? Your professed love for me is like a morning cloud and as a dew that passes away. What they said and what they said they would do didn't last and it didn't come into reality and it didn't bear forth fruit. It was not down in the heart of the people. And for all they professed and for all they said, Hosea 7.10 concludes, God concludes, yet for all this, they have not returned to the Lord their God. From that point onward, progressing on to the end of chapter 7, 
You see the tracing out of the sin and judgment that expands from one group of people to another group of people throughout the people of Israel. And it expressed in kind of a spagmatic expressions of wrath. Actually, if you read the people who understand the Hebrew and the grammar of Hosea, they'll say that it's one of the most crudely written books as if he didn't follow any of the laws of grammar, even when he tries to reproduce what's called Hebrew parallelism, which is the way in which poetry is written with kind of a repetition of ideas with symmetry in the words. There's no symmetry in it. It's all broken. It's like an apoplectic expression of the seizure of grief and agony and anger of God as he expresses these judgments upon the people. And this goes on all the way, all the way in to the end of chapter 10. So what do we say here about all these things and considering this? It's in chapter 11, verse 1, that now Christ is going to be brought into the picture as a fulfillment of what God is saying and what God is doing. And Christ also enters into the story not only of mankind, but he, in a sense, enters into the story and the prophecies of Hosea at this point in time. And what we can say is this child who has come is connected to all of this judgment. And he will be with Israel and represent Israel, but he will represent them in this sin. He'll come to judge, but he'll also come to be the one to take this judgment upon himself. God's heart is impacted by our sins. And in the impact of that sin, he didn't spare his own son, but brought the impact upon his own son, even from at the point and outset. Even as an infant, he is introduced into this judgment. Please join us again in our next broadcast as we continue to consider Hosea's prophecy and its fulfillment in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This has been the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.